everybody, and welcome to another expert Q&A uh, here on Up and to the Right uh, at Gradient Works. Um, today, we've got Azim Nagri here with us. He's the EVP of Operations at Scorpion. Uh, so, Azim, will you introduce yourself real quick? Give us a little bit about your background. Yeah, no, great to be here, Hayes. Uh, really excited to have an opportunity to chat with you more about one of my favorite topics on the planet. Um, a little bit of background. Uh, so I've spent my entire career sort of doing strategy and operations. And for the last 10, sort of 15, 10 or 15 years, uh, I've been really focusing those efforts in the customer success arena. Uh, and so I've worked with you know, small companies and large uh, startups as well, and really helping them uh, sort of build, grow, and then optimize their customer success teams. So that's a little bit about my background. Got it. Well, let's, uh, why don't we start real quick on a terminology thing, um, which I, sure. I think is interesting. So I, uh, you know, when we talked about this uh, discussion beforehand, I said, let's talk about expansion, retention, that kind of thing. You, you talk about customer success. Um, I often see in companies this sort of split between the idea of account managers and customer success managers and seeing customer success as more of the, uh, uh, the friendly part of, you know, helping the customer be <laughs> successful and the account managers is more of the, hey, let's, uh, let's pay up, right? So what yeah. do you, um, let's just kind of, you know, level up on that terminology, you know, do you see customer success as the umbrella term for all of those activities or is it, or is it kind of a subset of what you do with a customer? Yeah, great question. And it seems like for every company that I work with, uh, they've got a different set of terminology. So you've got the customer experience advocates, mm -hmm. you've got the client success teams, customer success teams. So yes, there's a lot of looseness around the terminology. Mm -hmm. I think the way I sort of see things as a shorthand way of referring to this function overall of working with your customer, with working with your existing customer base is that customer success moniker. Mm -hmm. uh, within that, I think you can have other terms or other teams so it could be your customer advocate, it could be your account management. You could even potentially wrap up into that customer support. Um, the way I sort of see it is terms of the, almost the disciplines and the functions. Mm -hmm. So I see there being a role or a discipline where that person is responsible for managing the commercial relationship with the customer. Right. Okay. So that's making sure the contracts are in place and the renewals in place and the payments are being made. So it's really around understanding the commercial aspects of the, of the relationship. There is a second role where it is really focused on making sure that your customer is getting value out of the product that you're trying to sell them. And so that could be, you know, monitoring usage to make sure that they are actually using the platform or providing them training uh, if they need training, or it's about helping them understand the different use cases that the product can provide. Mm -hmm. Those are the sort of two functions. I think what you see is as companies grow and evolve, mm -hmm. they start off with one person doing both. And then as the company grows and evolves, you might see a sort of a delineation between those two recognizing that those are sort of two different skill sets. Right. Does that, uh, it seems that the more complex the product experience and the more difficult it is to, you know, implement or and ultimately kind of get to that level of getting value from it, um, 
it seems mm -hmm. like that would lean more towards having a, a core CSM function that might be separate from the commercial relationship. So are there product elements that, that lend you, know, you to making a decision to how you wanna break up the, the commercial versus the success functions? Yeah, I think there's a there's a there's a uh, a lot that sort of goes into that decision about whether you have separate account management teams mm -hmm. and customer success teams, or whether you have the ability to combine them. So a couple of those variables include, to your point, the complexity of the product. Mm -hmm. uh, is this the type of product which actually does require a lot of hand holding, certainly initially, but maybe an ongoing basis? If that is required, then clearly asking someone to do that aspect as well as maintain the commercial relationship might be a little bit of a stretch. So, you know, product complexity is, is one aspect of it. And that might also include the breadth of your products. So you might have just one product or you may have 15 products. So that, that's sort of one variable. Uh, another variable sort of goes back to what we talked about before, which is sort of the growth of the company and the number of customers you have. If you've got five customers, you could probably get away with one person doing both roles. Mm -hmm. As you go out to, you know, 500, 5,000, clearly you can start thinking about some specialization. So just the size of your company. Uh, the third aspect I think really comes down to, you know, good old fashioned uh, financials and the P&L. Clearly there is some benefit in having two people service an account, right. but for a lot of companies, that's just not financially viable. So you do need some person to uh, sort of play both roles. Got it. Okay, well, so, you know, we're kind of getting into the P&L and some of these operational things, but let's, uh, you know, and I, I know that's been a lot of your background um, is really focusing on the operational aspects of this. So let's, um, you know, yeah. let's get down to one of the core things that underpins operations, which is metrics, right? And so, <laughs> uh, you know, what are, so kind of in this broader customer success view that we mm -hmm. just talked about commercial and, and less commercial, I suppose, uh, you know, what are the key metrics that you think B2B subscription orgs, and that's really the focus of a lot of our conversations here. So B2B sure. subscription revenue orgs, what are those key metrics that they need to be focusing on in their customer base to think about the, the health of their business? Yeah. So the way I think about this phase is almost categorizing the metrics into two different types. Okay. So there's almost like an outcome metric, and then there's sort of the leading indicator or the driver metric. Mm -hmm. So let me talk about those. So the outcome metric is essentially what you're trying to achieve. And so from my perspective, especially if you think about sort of companies that are at the early growth stage, mm -hmm. uh, it fundamentally comes down to retention or gross revenue retention or gross logo retention. That's pretty much it. There are a lot of other metrics. I'm gonna talk about those in a moment, but at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get customers to be retained. That's it. Right. So can we, As real, you quick, start real quick on that, I wanna I want to touch on it. Cause I think that uh, when I talk to, to you know, revenue leaders um, or founders, even at earlier stage companies, uh, there's often this, uh, you know, they're, they're starting to really try to understand the different types of retention. And we're, we're starting to drill mm -hmm. into that right now. So just in yeah. the event that somebody's listening to this and is thinking about, okay, well, dollar retention versus logo retention and gross versus yeah. what I'm guessing you might talk about soon, which is net, mm -hmm. um, yes. you know, yes. maybe, maybe just level set us on the yeah. The basics there. How should we yep. be thinking about what is gross dollar retention? What is gross sure. logo retention? Yeah. So for 
for both your gross uh, metrics, both whether it be revenue or, or logo, all you're looking at is a comparison of how much dollars or how many logos there were compared to a prior period, which could be on a monthly basis or it could be on a yearly basis. But you essentially, say, if I start with 100 customers, mm -hmm. After a period of a month or a year, how many customers do I have left? And that becomes essentially your retention rate. Right. And if you do it on dollars, why well, start with a hundred? Sorry, if you're doing logos, why well, start with a hundred logos? Mm -hmm. After a month or after a year, how many logos of those hundred still remain? Right. So the so important that's thing is the basis is in the cohort that you you start with a cohort Correct. and then you look at attrition from that cohort specifically without allowing. Um, you know, upsells or other guys. things that new guys to, to impact it. So that's gross. Yes, exactly. So that's yeah. super course. Appreciate that uh, kind of one-on-one, but I think that's yep. really important. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Which then leads into, uh, you know, the next topic, which is obviously net revenue retention. Mm -hmm. So for my, and I think this is probably might be a little bit controversial, but I'll say it anyway. Hot uh, there we go. Yeah. Well, then maybe this will, you know, put, this will call this video to get viral. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Um, so net revenue retention is obviously even more critical. So to level set what we're talking about before, net revenue retention is where we're looking at the gross, but now we're looking at what the impact is of additional dollars that you might extract from that existing customer base. So uh, it's really net revenue retention is only really applicable to dollars. It doesn't really work for logos. Yeah. Um, but let's start off with that $100 scenario well, you might lose $20 from customers who don't return, but then you may sell another $30 worth of services to the 80 customers that retain. And so in that case, your net revenue retention is actually $110. Mm -hmm. And so your net revenue retention exceeds 100%. And that's obviously the holy grail. Right. Now, I, I sort of advocate for focusing in on net revenue retention as in a metric or as a goal, after you've after you've gone sort of over that initial growth stage mm -hmm. and the reason i say that is because unless you're focused on gross revenue retention what will end up happening is you will kind of forget about your existing customer base and that ultimately means that you might go through all of your customers you can't expand or upsell into a customer base if you don't have a customer base that's number one. Right. And number two is by really obsessing around gross revenue tension in the early stages, you actually get a sense of whether your product is actually good and whether the, your account management team are actually good and whether your company's good. If you, it's very easy for companies to obfuscate some of the underlying problems just because they've got one or two stellar salespeople who are killing it on the expansion side. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to get that obfuscation. You actually understand, especially in the early stages, what's going on with the business. Right. Once you feel good about that, then by all means, go out and focus on net revenue ex expansion. Uh, the third point, if I could sort of expand on this as well, is that typically when you're early, you don't have anything to sell because all of your time and energy from a product development perspective mm -hmm. has been poured into that single product. Right. So it's very unfair to hold your customer success team to a net revenue retention, which essentially means that you're trying to sell your customers more stuff if there's no more stuff to sell. So it's only after you've got a sort of a, a, a set of products you can sell that you really need to be focusing on net revenue retention. 
And so when you think about the, the set of products you can sell, I think about it as uh, two things. Um, when you think about expansion, right? How you get from that, uh, you know, how you get that extra 10 bucks from, from the existing mm -hmm. customer base uh, in your example earlier, you know, you've got, you've got upsell, which is more usage of the same thing roughly, yep. right? And then you've got uh, cross-sell, which, you know, I tend to think of like getting a customer to use another thing that you have yep. to offer, right? Yep. And so yep. I think you're right in the early days, um, almost by definition, and not to dwell on the early days in this conversation, but I think it's, that's where this gets really tricky, um, is uh, in the early days, you don't really have cross-sell, right? Like you're not yep. going to have you're not serving 10 different use cases within the same organization and, and there's a whole bunch of people you can sell to, but you may have expansion, right? So maybe you sell a product that's based on seats and your, your new business team has landed, you know, 10 seats, but you learn as an account manager that there's probably 50 seats at full penetration, right? So, yeah. um, you know, does that change your calculus at all about how much you think about NRR? Like if you have a, an internal expansion path, um, that's more upsell driven from the same solution. Um, yep. do you think about it differently in the early stages or, or do you think it's still important to focus on GRR as a metric of whether or not you can ever even be successful because if you can't retain customers, yeah. you're screwed. Yeah, and, and I think we'll probably talk about this in a, in, a, in a little bit, but I think it really comes down to what do you want your team to obsess about? Right. So especially in the early days, do you want your team obsessing about that retention aspect or do you want your team obsessing about selling more seats? Right. Because that will actually impact the types of people you hire, impact your processes, it'll impact everything. And right. so I would argue that in the early days, it's great if you can go from 10 seats to 20 seats, mm -hmm. but I don't think that's what you want your team to be obsessing about. I think you want your team to be obsessing about making sure those 10 seats are just knocking it out of the park and that, by definition, will open up more opportunities. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you want them obsessing about 10 to 20 seats. Okay. Well, actually, let's... So I like this idea of what are they obsessing about, right? And, yeah. and I think that's, uh, that actually dovetails a lot of how I think about hiring, hiring roles if you're in a growth stage. Like, you, yep. when you decide that someone needs... That a thing needs to be obsessed about, that's when you hire, right? Like, you hire someone yeah. to be obsessed about it, and then you make sure that you, you have a teams ultimately to be obsessed about it. Um, yep. And so I wanted to, to drill into that obsession with retention, right? And so yep. um, I, I read a really interesting... Uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I read a really interesting <laughs> Gartner report uh, recently that was about account management teams and the often the lack of expansion selling that happens in these yeah. teams. Um, and so one of the things that they highlighted, which I which really resonated with me because it fits with my experience of what I've seen a lot of account managers do, is that account managers often. Um, get very, very retention focused, which you want, right? Mm -hmm. and, you know, so there's always mm -hmm. a balance. But uh, one of the things I feel like I've heard from account managers a lot in my lifetime is, uh, yeah, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna be able to upsell these guys next quarter, right? But this quarter, you know, they've got these issues, and we really need to focus on dealing with this first and make sure they're happy. And then we can do the upsell. It's like, they, they kind of need to get permission to do the upsell by servicing the customer, which is to some degree true, but often what I think happens is it's it's used a little bit as a crutch, 
right? Like we don't yep. want to have this conversation because we're so much more comfortable as account managers focusing on retention and purely retention and servicing, right? That almost yep. we, in some cases will will overserve over service the customer um, in order to uh, to kind of avoid um, yep. the maybe more difficult expansion conversation. And so, I wanted to get your thoughts on that phenomenon. Is that a, you know, is that a real phenomenon? And if so, um, how do you think about that balance between retention and expansion if you consider them even in opposition to each other? Yeah, yeah. One of my, uh, one of my favorite account reviews I did with, uh, with an account manager when we were sort of going through their, their book of business and, you know, 60 or 70 accounts and just sort of doing a status check uh, on how those accounts were doing. And, you know, sort of asking them, you know, is this one going to retire? Is this one, are we good on, are we safe for, uh, for renewing this customer? Yes. Are we safe for renewing this customer? Yes. Went through the entire list and, you know, every customer was green lighted. It was fantastic. It was the rosiest picture I've ever seen. Right. And then the moment I said, okay, so who is opportunity, who's right for expansion? It's like, oh, no, 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 no. No one's ready for expansion. They've got this issue with this customer and this issue, this customer has that issue. And we've got to resolve these tickets to like, hang on, that doesn't make sense. And I think it highlights exactly the point that you're making is that account managers are too often are very, very comfortable in the, in the renewal conversation, but by definition, um, they're not as comfortable with expansion conversation. So the way I think about that, Hayes, is, you know, I, I challenge um, account managers or, or CSMs who are very responsible with this, which is, the goal of an account manager is not to sell, okay? Mm -hmm. The goal of an account manager is to help solve problems for their client. Okay. And sometimes that problem can be solved with the existing product set. Mm -hmm. Other times it can be solved with a new feature that can be turned on for free. Other times it can be solved with a new feature or a new product for which there must be a cash transaction. And other times it may not be able to be sold at all. But the thing that I think a lot of account managers forget, and a lot of, honestly, a lot of managers of account managers forget, including the executive team, is the goal is not to sell. The goal of a sales team, typically new, new business, is to sell. The goal of the account management team is to ensure that the customer is getting value out of the platform and that their pain points are being solved. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then hopefully there's a product out there for which a cash transaction will occur. And that's how you get the expansion opportunities. So let me, uh, let me give you an example, if you can indulge me. So going back, to, going back to your license example. So we've sold 10 licenses into you know, this fictional, fictional customer. Now, the, the, the wrong approach, I believe, would be to go to that customer and say, Hey, it looks like you're, you're having great success with these 10 seats. Can I sell some more seats? Can I sell you more seats? I'll give you a package deal. End of month, a crazy 80 pricing. I'll add five for the price of four. No, right. is the wrong approach. And I think that's a mentality that a lot of account managers don't like doing and they're scared. Change that conversation a little bit, whereby in saying, saying, hey, looks like your 10 users are getting a lot of value out of this. Mm. Are there anyone else in the organization, you know, you, you, those 10 users purchased this platform to solve this problem. Who else in the organization is having this problem? 
Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you know, Bill and Felicity and Jane. Great. Well, can we set them up with some seats as well? Yeah, that's a great idea. Boom, you've got your expansion. Mm -hmm. So, except that that's a, that is a difficult mindset to shift, mm -hmm. especially in the minds of the executive team, because all they care about is more dollars. But that's the mindset that I think a successful account manager will want to take as they approach that expansion type, uh, expansion sort of concept. So, um, you know, if you, if you frame it as solving problems for your customers, right? And I, I, like, the, uh, I like the altruism. Um, and I think it's not just <laughs> altruism, right? I mean, it, it ultimately, if you're not solving problems for your customers, at some point, they're no longer going to be your customers, right? So that it's right. a point yeah. well taken. But, um, you know, do you think that ultimately these kinds of, of roles, we, we started this conversation saying, you know, there's, there's sort of a split between maybe the service mm -hmm. element and the, the commercial element. Do you yep. think that ultimately now, so we've been talking about early stage, let's switch to more scaled out organizations, right? Um, yep. If you were, if you were talking to an organization that's in more of a growth stage, or maybe they've, they've hit some kind of scale, would you say that the retention and expansion relationships, and let's focus in on the commercial side, not really the service side. Yep. Um, should yep. that be the same person, right? Should you have the same person focused on retaining the dollars and adding new dollars from the customer? Or is there a role for an expansion team that's responsible for, for growth? Yeah, great question. And honestly, Hayes, I've seen it both ways. And, and we could sort of debate this topic till, till the cows come home. Um, I think some of the variables that it depends upon are some of the things that we talked about before. So it depends upon, you know, the types of customers you have, the complexity of products that you have, the price points, you know, a lot of different variables. I think what is actually more important is that whatever path you choose, whether you decide to keep it separate, whether you combine it, whether you build out an entire separate sort of sales organization, whatever your path is, the most important thing is that A, you define it and then make it very clear about who's doing what in the organization. Number two is that you hire the right people into that organization. And then number three, you metric and reward the people in those organizations to do the job that you want them to do. Where I see these fail and where I see a lot of tension is where you hire, you have an organization which is called, for better or worse, you know, customer success, they're clearly focused on making sure the customer gets value. Right. You've hired people, you've got a comp structure that sits around that, you've got the metrics around that, and everything's working well. And then suddenly someone comes in and says, hey, customer success team, I'm gonna now stick a $100,000 quarter quota on you that you must go and achieve. Right. And that's where you start to get this dysfunction mm -hmm. because that person in that role, the processes, the infrastructure, the comp system is not designed to support this expansion. So as long as you're very deliberate about what you're doing and then everything flows from that, it doesn't really matter what the specific organization is that you do, or the organizational structure uh, that you decide to take. So you touched on um, one topic that I always think is really fascinating because it ultimately governs incentives for your reps, yes. which ultimately governs behavior um, because mm -hmm. people respond to incentives. So. Let's talk about comp. Um, you know, what are some of the? Uh, that's another topic we could we could talk about for 
for hours and hours and sure. hours, which we don't have here. But, um, you know, are there, if you're starting to think about these challenges um, in, a, in a scaling or growth type situation where you're thinking about the commercial relationship as it relates to GRR, the commercial relationship as it relates to expansion, and the service relationship, like, how do you need to start thinking about comp in these cases? And I'll, I'll add one other thing here, which is that um, one of the things that I think is often a challenge for uh, comp for teams that are focused on the customer success um, world is, uh, is the comp structures often get kind of complicated, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, it, and it's because of these, these sort of dueling mandates of, of growth and retention and all of that, whereas yeah. you know, new business, you can make it complicated, but in the end, at the end of the day, it's you brought a dollar in, you get a piece of that dollar back, right? Like that's kind of yeah. how the comp structures yeah. work. And typically that's pretty aligned with how the business wants it to work, right? So, yeah. um, you know, at a high level, what are some of the, maybe it would be even, what are some of the pitfalls, I guess, in, in terms of how you start designing comp for these different kinds of roles? Where, where can it all go horribly wrong? Yeah, I think, let, let me start at, the, at a different place, which is the comp, most, most people in, in, in these sorts of roles will typically do a base plus sort of an incentive type of uh, structure. Um, uh, the incentive, in my opinion, needs to be directly tied to the outcome that you're trying to achieve. And that's, I think, what's gonna vary. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, so that more commercially orientated person, well, the outcome that you're trying to drive is retention and or expansion. Mm -hmm. So tie their comp to that outcome. If you think about someone who's sort of got that more traditional CSM type of model, well, their outcome that you're trying to get for them is around product adoption, product usage, well, why don't you tie the variable comp to that? Mm -hmm. And that was something we did in one of the older organizations I worked at recently was we actually had the CSMs who had a component of their incentive pay tied to usage and adoption and the number of people that were logging in on a regular basis. The account management team were tied to much more traditional sort of GR and NNR. So I think the as long as you understand what you're trying to drive that individual to do and you match the comp to that, then I think you can actually solve some of the problems. I think the complexity that you refer to often is driven by a lack of infrastructure or a lack of data mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately it should be a relatively simple uh, structure to put in place in principle where it starts to fall down is when the execution, because you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have the data, or you need to build out all these exception cases of, well, that works well for customers one, two, three, but it doesn't really apply to customer four because customer four is you know, overseas or it's a channel partner or, or, or something else. So that's where I think some of those complexities can arise, but the principles are pretty straightforward. So um, one of the places I think the complexity shows up is, you know, the reality is most of the time you have some one person who's responsible for the commercial relationship. And so they are tasked with retention and expansion. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've seen comp plans that are, you know, just go get us dollars, right? Like you've got, you started with a million dollars, right? At the end of the day, you know, the end of next year, we should still, we should have a million and yeah. five or whatever, right? Like, you know, yep. that kind of thing. Um, and then there's other plans that are, 
we expect a certain baseline level of GRR and retention, and then there's some kind of yeah. an incentive for you know going above that, right? And so yeah. the challenge with the first plan, while it's nice from a revenue standpoint, you don't really know whether or not somebody has eroded their customer base by 50% and somehow like, you know, had a bluebird come in that like allowed them to hide that erosion, right? Uh, so how do you think about, about that? Because the reality is most of the time it's, it's one person. How do you balance the retention versus yeah. expansion incentives? Yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, I spent many, many, many hours debating with, with various executive teams on this. You don't have the perfect answer for this. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I do. It's it just about convincing everyone else what the perfect yeah. answer is. <laughs> um, no, you, you're you're absolutely right. The 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 right answer mm -hmm. is the latter, which mm -hmm. is where you need to have some base level. You need to have incentives tied to both base level gross revenue tension mm -hmm. and then you need to have an incentive tied towards expansion because fundamentally those are the two things that are going to make the company successful on a long-term sustained basis mm -hmm. and it's that long-term sustained basis that it's critical to think through because if you're thinking in a very short-term horizon right. meaning in the next you know 12 18 24 months we'll get a new round of funding or we'll get an exit all we need to do is just focus on revenue, just top line growth. And I don't care where it comes from, how it comes from, all I care about is revenue. Well, it kind of lends itself to that first model where I don't care if you're eroding your customer base. Right. But if you're thinking about trying to build a sustainable company that has a life beyond, you know, 12, 18, 24 months, the last thing you want to do is let sales reps or account managers uh not pay attention to their entire customer base because they know that when push comes to shove they can always go back over to their customer bob because bob's always good for another 10k each right. month because you and he play golf together right okay and you know i think that goes back to some of the challenges that I think exist in the the early days um as you start to get some scale right like and uh, I was having a conversation with somebody about this the other day. They asked me lessons learned working at a, a larger company um, versus sort of startup. And I think one of the biggest things is just pure math. Where do your where does your revenue come from, right? If you think about whatever your ARR run rate is, right? Like, um, is that revenue coming from a large existing customer base because you're a mature company, mm -hmm. right? And and then ultimately new business almost doesn't move the needle for you because I mean it. It's important, but it ultimately isn't going to make your yep. quarter, right? It's it's the retention that makes yep. your quarter. But if you're a early stage, new business is what makes your quarter, right? Yep. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think one of the the big challenges in that early stage is you can't afford to really think too much beyond the next eighteen to twenty four months, <laughs> right? Because, like, you know, uh, you. It, you in many cases, you might be lucky to survive that long, right? Uh, and uh, you know, when you're when you're more mature, you can think about okay, in five years, we expect the revenue base from the you know these customers to be X, right? But um, when you're in yeah. early stage, you can't do that. But you can also very easily set yourself, you know, I, I like to call it a churn trap, right? Um, you know, where you think in a SaaS company, you know, just because I'm I'm most familiar with SaaS and I've spent most of my time there. 
you're, you're doing all this acquisition and you figured out that channel, you know, and, and things are looking really good and you're telling yourself things are great because we grew revenue, you know, 200% last year from new business, but you have no idea whether or not those folks are going to stick around when their contracts come up for renewal, right? Yeah. And, um, and so you may find that suddenly this, uh, this business that looks really good has this really hard asymptote that basically is like, you can't get above this threshold because your bucket is leaking faster than you're yes. ever going to really be acquiring companies. So yeah. when you're in that growth, that growth stage, when you're kind of fooling yourself with new business acquisition, mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, that's the only way that you get a chance to even figure out retention yep. is because you're acquiring customers. Um, how do you start figuring out whether or not you're screwed, right? Like, how do you how do you start figuring out whether or not customers are gonna stick around when the reality is it's yeah. gonna take a year before you even know that? Yeah, um, I think to the extent that scale enables you to do that, mm -hmm. it's really about staying close to your customers. Mm -hmm. And by staying close to your customers, I, mean, I think what you're looking at and what you're trying to measure uh, is you're trying to understand what are they using your product? Mm -hmm. And if so, which parts of the product are they using it for? And what are they using it for? Right. So getting a very good understanding of what the true stickiness of your product is, is, is absolutely critical because that will give you some indication of whether the product is actually going to be sticky for that customer. Or more importantly, can it rise from a nice to have to a must have? Right. Obviously the ideal is mission critical, that's a lofty aspiration to have, but can you get away from need to have to, to must have? Mm -hmm. um, I think sticking close to your customers to understand what are they happy with and what are they not happy with? Mm -hmm. Which aspects of the product, which aspects of the customer service, which aspects of the company are they happy with and they're not happy with? I think you want to get really good on this. Sorry. Quick on that, yeah. you know, happy with, not happy with. Um, yeah. How do you measure that, right? Uh, you know, do you like... Yeah. I find, I think NPS is a little bit bullshit in a lot of cases, right? Um, yes, that right. can be biased, right? How do you try to yep. figure that out other than just subjectively saying, hey, are you happy? I, I honestly, I think it's, a, it's that. I mean, yeah. I think you can put some quality metrics in place like NPS and, and CSAT or whatever you want to do, but I think it's about having constant and regular conversations with your customer. Mm -hmm. And if you have people who are skilled they can actually tease out. They can ask the right questions to understand what's really, really going on. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing which people is, is not often thought of, especially in those early stages, would be, and again, this requires a conversation with your customer, would be to understand what's happening in the competitive landscape. Mm -hmm. Because I can guarantee you that if you've got a customer on a one-year contract, there is going to be a competitor who is pitching your customer at that seven, eight month mark. Right. And to the extent that you can understand what that competitor is pitching in terms of products, pricing, packaging, that will give you a sense of whether you're at risk or not. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that you can understand that, I think that starts to help you build a picture of are we screwed or not? Because if the competitors are coming in, more aggressively with better products and with better pricing, yeah, you're going to be screwed. Uh, and, and vice versa as well. If, you're, if your product is actually superior, then you probably bought, bought yourself another year.
which was right. which was good to know. Okay, uh, I think that um, you know that this is the type of thing that I think we could dig into for all of these topics seem like Ouch. topics <laughs> uh, keep digging into. Um, you know, I want to. Uh, I think I want to wrap up here with just you know one thing I I always like to ask is you know. Uh, when you're in that growth stage, when you're starting to figure things out, you've got a decent amount of acquisition and you've got a, um, uh, you've kind of got the flywheel going a little bit, you know, what do you think the, the biggest mistake that the folks make is when they're, when they're starting to try to, to get those, you know, year two kind of renewals and, and make sure that, that, that things are really going like, how, where can it go wrong? Um, as you as you start yeah. to see that glimmer of hope as the flywheel goes. Yeah, good question. I mean, I think the uh, there are a couple of areas in which you can go wrong. Um, uh, one is not having the right metrics in place. So we talked about a couple of the metrics which are important. We didn't get a chance to talk about some of those leading indicators yeah. like usage, like productivity metrics. If you don't have a good dashboard in place then you're not getting visibility of what's actually happening in the organization. So that's number one. Uh, number two kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, which is if you're not staying close to your customer, then what's going to happen is you're going to try and do that renewal. And that could be either at year one or year two or year three. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be totally surprised because the world has moved on. Your customer has moved on and you weren't paying attention. Mm -hmm. And so too often times when I've been working with account managers, and we suddenly get surprised that the renewal doesn't come on. When you probe into it, the customer sort of says, well, you know, I haven't actually been using your product for the last four months uh, because it didn't do X, Y, Z, at which point you want to reach into the screen and throttle them to say, yes, it does. There's a great big red button on the product says we do that. How did you? Oh, yeah. Anyway, we're going to move on to another competitor. I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, but just staying close to your customers is, is critical. Yeah, um, that makes, uh, so one, actually, I, I was about to wrap up, but I do have one other thing <laughs> that I think is it, that we haven't really touched on. We've, we've spent a lot of time on metrics, right? And we, we've talked yep. some about incentives and that kind of thing. But I wanted to touch on one thing that I think is unique to this part of the business, which is, um, uh, is actually a little bit of a, uh, like a, a employee psychology kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. I think that uh, uh, it's very, very hard to be a new business sales rep. You're getting told no constantly, right? But you're mm -hmm. always holding out the the like, okay, I'm gonna, the next person's going to say yes, and I'm going to I'm going to pull this in, and I've won this deal, right? Yep. yep. From a retention standpoint, your job is to come in every day and just not lose. <laughs> right. Like, I, I mean, it, it, it's a very, and, and we as, as human beings, you know, there's this idea of like, um, you know, loss aversion, right? Like once we think sure. something's ours, uh, the idea of losing it is painful, um, almost like psychically, almost physically, you know, that someone's going to take this away from me. And so when you're an account manager, you walk in every day with like these things that are yours, these customers, right. And then you have to deal with success being, not having too many of them walk away, right? So how do you manage the psychology of that? It just feels very challenging to, to keep your level of excitement and enthusiasm up when success means just losing not all that often. 
Oh, you're, you're such a glass half empty. <laughs> well, I just, I, maybe that's just my own mentality, but I, I feel yeah. like uh, that's uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that's one approach to take it. But I think what I find in account managers and, and CSMs who are kind of born to do this mm-hmm. is that's not the mentality or that's not the approach they, they're going in with. Is it's not about let me try and hold on to you know those five customers to a risk. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of the inverse, mm-hmm. which is let me try and continually help and re-win mm-hmm. the 95 who are going to stick around. What can I do today to uh, to, to make this um, a successful outcome for for my customers? So, um, you know, the, the the company I work with now, Scorpion. Um, they just had a great example of where a customer was going through a little bit of a tough time on the personal front. You know, the account team sort of rallied around, uh, sent this great sort of encouraging message and the customer was blown away. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an example of the approach that you can take, which is I'm, I'm not trying to not lose. Mm-hmm. I'm actually trying to win and re-win those 95 customers every single day and if i can do that then i know that i'm successful okay so maybe it's my own gloomy personality then Um, (laughs) so you know we'll work on that (laughs) the right mentality then is to think about i'm actually winning every single day that i'm keeping these customers around so okay all right and if i I lose one it sucks Mm -hmm. but that serves as inspiration to make sure that i don't lose any more and I continue to win others. Got it. Okay. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I think there's probably five other sub conversations that could last uh, <laughs> you know, an hour in their own right. Um, and maybe maybe we'll do it again sometime um, and, and dig I in. I look forward to it. Things. Um, so really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation. This has been great. Thanks, Azim. Yeah, no, thanks for being absolutely wonderful to be here. Hey, thank you very much for the opportunity. All right.